No one escapes pain, fear, and suffering. Yet from pain can come wisdom, from fear can come courage, from suffering can come strength. If we have the virtue of resilience. That is a quote by Eric Greitens. Welcome to Trina Talk. Trina Talk is a weekly podcast that will inspire and empower women of all ages to strive for the impossible. Your host, Trina L. Martin from TrinaMartin.com is a motivational speaker, leader, and cybertech expert. Every week, Trina will share wisdom gained from her life experiences and lessons learned while pursuing her goals to inspire you to achieve the next level in your life. Now, your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to Trina Talk. I am your host, Trina L. Martin, and this is episode 70. The topic of this week's episode is show up. My guest this week is Yvonne Heath. Yvonne is a successful author and speaker. Most recently, she's a TEDx speaker. She was a nurse for 27 years, and now she's considered by Ambassador Magazine as Canada's rising star. Yvonne shares how we can teach people to just show up for themselves and others so they are empowered and resilient when grief arrives. Grief being whatever makes your heart ache, divorce, diagnosis, job loss, etc. Using heart and humor, she shares her message across Canada and the United States, helping people of all ages learn to take care of others. Hi, Yvonne. Welcome to Trina Talk. Thank you so much, Trina. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm just looking so, you know, forward to our conversation. I have, you've done a TEDx talk. Mm. You are doing great things. Something that I have never actually seen anybody actually talk about, which is moving past grief and how you're showing up for yourself as well as others. So why don't you tell the listeners about yourself and how you came to be this spokesperson for, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, for um, transforming your grief into something positive. Well, it's so interesting, Trina, because I was a nurse for 27 years. I worked in many places in the United States and Canada. And there was just something that I, I just, something unsettling, no matter where I lived, no matter what department I worked in. And it was in the last 14 years of working in chemotherapy that I started to notice in healthcare professionals, in patients and families, that there were people that could, regardless of what they were going through, regardless of their prognosis, they could move through grief, they could laugh and cry and, and just allow all emotions, allow their, their humanness and sort of get through to the other side despite the outcome. And there were others that would just, you could just tell that grief had their grips in so tight, they, they couldn't allow joy, they couldn't allow light in. And, uh, and then those people died in fear and anxiety, and, uh, and their grieving families were stuck. So I started to question, <laughs> I, I remember asking this one question, and I, I asked many different healthcare professionals, I said, are, are healthcare professionals, are we well prepared personally and professionally for grief? And do we know what to do once it arrives and how to get through the other side? 
And the answer was, oh my goodness, no, we're terrible at it. <laughs> and, and so I thought, well, who's teaching community to prepare for grief and then how to move through to the other side and find joy in their lives again? And we certainly don't talk about grief before it arrives. And so it was no one. So I said, okay, well, I'll take that on. <laughs> and it's just, my journey has just been a surprising involvement e of walking with passion and purpose and certainly leaping out of my comfort zone, let me tell you, because <laughs> I had no intention of being a speaker. I was not an author. I didn't even journal. And it was like I was kidnapped by passion and purpose and creating positive social change. So that, that, that's a quick, uh, brief, brief look at my journey. Wow, that's amazing. And it's funny that you say that you were a nurse for 27 years. And it's amazing that you asked that question, are we prepared for grief? And then you got the answer of no. Yeah. And that's, that's amazing to me. But it's amazing, but it's not. Having um, had loved ones that died and just to experience the um, medical professionals and it basically how they handle it is like, you know, yeah, just another day um, in the walk of life, you know, I guess for them, but that's not something that I guess they don't teach you when you're going through nursing school or doc, you know, uh, medical school is, yeah. How do you, how do you handle that? Are you prepared? And, you know, we all know about the bedside manner, how some, Mm -hmm. medical people have it and some don't mm -hmm. but it's very amazing that you actually was the one person who asked that question and you decided to take it on well and it's so interesting in that when I when I talk about grief and when I wrote my book love your life to death I I truly wanted to help people to live well grieve well and die well and and when we started the I just showed up movement which teaches people of all ages how to just show up for themselves and others so they are empowered and resilient when grief arrives. I was really seeing grief as the broader scope of grief is whatever makes your heart ache, right? It's divorce, diagnosis, job loss, mental health issues. It's, it's anything that makes your heart ache. And it is certainly something we all experience, children, teenagers, adults, seniors, uh, people of all ages. And we have so many wonderful, we have grief counselors, we have victim services that come in when there's a crisis, but we have no foundation. We have no coping skills and strategies. We have no soft landing before so that we're coming to these places or, or when we have a loved one who's dying, we have palliative care and hospice, but we come to these places, to these people, and we, we have nothing and we're terrified and we create our own excessive suffering by not preparing. But really, who, who is talking about this? Well, I said, now I am. <laughs> and I'm going to be loud until everybody is talking about it. Because this takes, it takes a village. It takes a truly social change. We all need to be having these conversations. Wow. So go in, let's go into that in as far as how you're doing this because you do you sound like you're so passionate about it and I that's what I love I love to see people who are passionate about whatever it is that they're doing because that lets me know that you know you have skin in the game you care yeah. and and I don't mind you know going to you or feeling comfortable with you because I know this is not just something that you're doing to pass the time away so 
tell me how you're going about, you got this movement, this, I just showed up movement, mm-hmm. um, love your life to death. Mm-hmm. Just tell me about all of that. Cause I, I love just the, the concept and, and your, your theme that you have going on. Well, thank you so much. And, and truthfully, it, it all started with, I, I'm sitting in the very spot where <laughs> I, I love telling that my, my husband's a paramedic. So he also, you know, he's a healthcare professional. And, um, and I just started pacing in the house and saying, you know, we really need to do something different. I mean, we don't know what to do with grief, let alone death and dying. And I became very anxious. And as I said, as so many people experienced, there was a pop-up on Facebook (laughs) and it said, how to write a best-selling book. And I went, oh my goodness, that's it. I'm going to leave my 27-year nursing career and write a book. (laughs) And of course, my husband was terrified, you know, three children, a mortgage. (laughs) And he's like, well, that's great, honey, except that you don't write. And I said, I know, isn't it fantastic? But the, the changing, the tipping point for me was I sent out one email And I said to people, I want to write a book and I do not want surveys and statistics. I want people's real life stories of being in the deep trenches of grief, of getting through to the other side. What helped you and how did you find joy again? And I just remember I I pressed send and I thought, I have no idea if anyone will even respond. And you know what? I'm sure you can guess it's five years now, and the stories have not stopped coming. People were stopping me in the grocery store, and they were t- t- wanting to tell me their stories. And, and so in my book, I shared people's stories ages 11 to 101. And it, it literally changed my life. And the feedback from thousands of people have, has been that it's, it's changed their lives. And what is so life-changing is that when we share our personal stories, right, of grief, of flaws, challenges, obstacles, we heal ourselves and we heal others in just knowing they are not alone. And, and we all have experienced those, those feelings of isolation and sadness and anxiety and depression. We've all been there. And when we share our stories, we heal each other. And it's truly extraordinary and then the other piece of that, when I, when I asked people what made the difference when people just showed up for you, what made the difference? And, you know, it was the simplest, smallest acts of kindness, gestures, hug, text, email, call, sit silently and listen. It, these were all the things, somebody that, you know, helped with life's daily tasks. We didn't need to be professionals. We needed just people to just grieve with us, not be strong for us. And so my message truly is share your story and just show up because you can make a difference. Wow. You're amazing. Your message is powerful. I'm, I'm just sitting here. I'm listening to you and I have so many questions, but my first one is since you sent out that email and you've gotten all these great responses. So are you doing volumes to your book how are you doing that oh so what i've done is i i wrote my book and then um i i began speaking i've spoken oh i don't know a couple hundred times i i say have book will travel so i'm i'm doing speaking engagements and workshops and i also have a radio show and a television show and i continue to share people's stories i wanted this information to be available 
in every modality because everybody learns differently. And, and I was thinking of writing another book, but the truth is that sometimes when we're grieving in life, facing one of life's challenges or supporting someone else in the dying process, you know, if we're caregiving, even in chronic, if someone has a chronic illness, I mean, you could be a caregiver for years, you may not be able to go to a presentation and you may not be able to pick up a book and read it. So to truly uh, reach anybody in the globe, I've just literally just created my online program, Get Ready for Grief. And um, that is what I want to share with the world so that anyone can have this information anytime, anywhere, when grief hits and when it does again, because it is a part of this journey, isn't it? You don't just, you know, well, I've had all the grief I can handle. Thank you very much. <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful <laughs> if it worked that way? <laughs> right? Wouldn't that be great? But, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, but I just say, you know, grief shows no mercy. It arrives unannounced and uninvited. It does not care what else you are going through. And it does not care if you've had enough. And some of the stories I've heard and people, you know, they're going through so much and then their basement floods, their dog dies, somebody has a heart attack. I'm like, are you kidding me? Give this person a break. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. um, but life doesn't play, you know, it's not fair. We don't all have the same journey. So, so my greatest, I feel what I wanted to do is be able to give this information to anyone anywhere. So that's why I created my program instead of writing another book. So very okay. about that. Yes. That that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And um and what you said, I've never thought about it this way until you said it, but you group grief into these categories. So you like you said, anything that makes your heart ache, it can be divorce, it can be death, whatever. And I never thought about it that way because when you think of grief, you automatically think of death. Absolutely. Someone someone dying, but it makes so much sense what you're saying. It can be anything that you've experienced that made you hurt. And then, like you said, how do you get to the other side of that? Mm -hmm. and, and truly, Trina, when you say you'd never thought of it that way, uh, that's how most people feel. And they say, oh, you're talking about grief. Oh, are you talking to the seniors? <laughs> oh, sure, I'll talk to the seniors. And I'd like to speak to the children and the teens. And I mean, grief is a part of this journey. And it's grief it's like a continuum or you know obviously the the greatest one of the greatest things we grieve is death but i i also share with people there are, there are things that are worse than dying because dying is just a part of this journey and we we need to acknowledge that and we don't all die of old age we don't all get a warning but something that i i'm so passionate about diffusing the fear of death and feeling like and, and helping people realize it isn't the enemy because truly what I have seen in my life and in my, my personal life and professional life, something greater than death is suffering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and wow, we can, we can really create a lot of suffering in our lives again by being ill-prepared, but also by being so scared to death of death that we hold on with the, you know, we just hold on at all costs and, and we can keep people alive mm -hmm. with a heartbeat for a very long time with no quality of life. Um, and, and I know that many people would rather allow a natural death than continue on with all of these treatments. And, and I say, how do I know? Because they told me, right. They told mm -hmm. me, but their families were just, you know, 
keep fighting, mom, grandma, it's all right, don't give up. And, you know, sometimes what someone thinks is giving up is just truly accepting what is and allowing a natural death. And we just need to have these conversations. And is it hard? Absolutely. Is it uncomfortable? Yes. Don't wait for it to be comfortable. Like, when do you say we should talk about all of, you know, quality of life, quantity of life, grief, death? When, what day does that, you know, this is really Sunday. We should start talking about all this stuff. Like, that's not going to happen, right? Right. Oh my goodness. So in your, in your journey, so in, and I love, I'm, I'm going back. So you were a nurse for 27 years. That that's a very good profession. And one day you just said, I'm going to pursue this other thing. Is that something that you always had in your heart to do something else? How did you come to just walk away from a nursing career? Do you know, it's very interesting that many, many years ago, I said to my mom, I said, at age 50, I'm going to do something different. And I don't know what that is. And I'm going to speak to a lot of people. And that doesn't make sense because I'm terrified to public speak. But I don't know what that is, mom. And she said, okay, dear, you know, I'll support you, whatever. I have that mom, you know, support me, whatever I choose. And of course, you know, only too well, life throws you curveballs. I I lived down in Texas. I I was married down there. I had my son, Tyler. And I I told my mom, you might as well accept. I'll never live where there's snow again. Um, Okay. So then I got divorced, (laughs) moved home uh, at age 31 with a two and a half year old. And, you know, you just realize like, wow, life can really change and and you have no idea you know you i mean that certainly wasn't on my vision board to be a single parent at 31 <laughs> in my parents basement um and and so that was truly a, a time where i realized you know how how things can really change uh but i continued continued i i didn't plan on staying here but I always say I just innocently flirted with this cute paramedic who was a lot younger <laughs> than me, and I ended up marrying him. Mm-hmm. Having, yes, twins at 40, and life was great again. And then one of the hardest, darkest times that really also was a catalyst for my new journey was uh, when, when my older son, Tyler, our older son, Tyler, was 16. He just spiraled down a dangerous road of drugs and addiction. And I truly, as as a as a human being as a mom as a nurse i realized how ill prepared i was for grief and how i mean it just it was destroying me i my heart was broken and i thought like i don't think i would survive a tragic outcome here i am that broken and you know now i have little twins as well so i thought so if something terrible happens I, I would if I, my children can't lose their mom as well because we all know people who have been so consumed by grief, right? After a loss, after someone they love died, that they become a person to grieve, right? Because they have a pulse, mm-hmm. no longer living. And I didn't. I thought, wow, I, I don't think I would survive it. And I and it that was the catalyst. And then working in chemotherapy, and it was one thing after the other that I I saw people that didn't really want treatment, but they were continuing on 
because their families were too ill prepared to let go. And it was almost like, it was like the universe, right? <laughs> pushing, pushing, pushing. Mm-hmm. Said, all, right, all right, I'll do it. I, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'll do it. And I know there's so many people out there that have that inner voice, right? Or that calling. And they're thinking like, this doesn't make sense for me to do. And I just say, let me tell you people, <laughs> make mm-hmm. your comfort zone. And if you have something that is, in there just start moving in the direction of your passion because i now every single day i wake up sometimes 4 35 30 in the morning and i cannot wait to have this conversation so it, it just moves me now wow it's yeah i can i can hear the excitement in your voice and mm-hmm. that's what it's all about you, you know living like you say living your life to death you know that to me is doing just what you said is living mm-hmm. your life of passion and fulfillment. Yeah. And it seems like you're getting such joy from serving others. Tell oh. me about just your experiences and, and your feedback from people who you may have helped, who have, oh. you know, how, how have you impacted others? So I will tell you the, one of the greatest honors that I've had, um, I went to, I was flown to Kelowna, British Columbia to speak for uh, a conference of over 350 people for the Huntington's Society of Canada. Now, Huntington's disease, are you familiar with? No, I'm not. I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar. Yes. And, and, and a lot of people aren't. And so I will tell you, when you talk about tremendous grief, complex grief. So Huntington's is like four diseases in one. It is like having ALS, schizophrenia, Parkinson's, and oh, geez, there's one more. <laughs> But that's enough. Anyway, it's, it's so it, it, you slowly deteriorate over time. And you also, if you find out you have the gene, you will develop it in your 40s or 60s, mostly in your 40s, you have a 50% chance of passing this gene on to your children. Mm. So you can imagine, right, the... I, when I was speaking there, I was so, I was so nervous. I'm not nervous speaking anymore because I'm okay with being my flawed, imperfect self, but I so desperately wanted to touch the audience and connect with them and give them, right? Like give them something to hold on to because it's one of the most challenging diseases I've ever come across as a nurse, as a, you know, it's just, it's very challenging. And so when I spoke, I just, I, you know, I just said, I want to, I'm just speaking from my heart here. And I really hoped that, um, that they received my message. And when I got off the stage, I hugged hundreds of people hugged me. And then we sold over 90 books Mm. And that to me, right. That told me. And then, so every second year they have an education day at all the different chapters. They don't have a big keynote. And I was asked to speak at four of them. Um, and so last weekend I spoke at a conference in Bowmanville this Saturday, I'm speaking in Toronto. And when you know that you have touched someone's heart or given someone something to hold on to when it is such complex grief and so incredibly challenging. There's just no greater feeling. And, you know, it's funny because I always tell people, listen, here is the secret. Be a do-gooder. 
because I don't even think I do because I'm a good person. It just makes you feel so good. Mm-hmm. You get so much more in return that it's just, it just feeds your soul. It's just incredible. And, you know, when I hear people like bullies and, and, and people that, you know, whatever they get themselves into, so much of that is, is grief. So much of that is unresolved grief or, you know, somebody died. I I mean, I've met people that have had a loved one die and they were never allowed to talk about it or they were completely lost or shuffled around. There's so many grieving people around and we don't know how to just show up for them. And, and most people just say, you know, what really makes a difference when somebody says, wow, that really sounds hard. Tell me what it's like. You know, we don't, we don't have to fix it, right? I can't fix this disease, but people know I care. And when I hug them, I hug them hard. But it's in that you don't have to be a professional. You don't have to be a speaker. You don't have to write a book. The things that truly just make a difference for people is just, even if you said, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say, but I am here. I, I'm sitting in the mud with you. I'm not going to try to fix it because I can't, but I am here with my heart open. And that's the greatest gift you can give yourself and others. Wow. Yes, it's uh, so true. And the fact that you spoke to these people, you know, that have this grave illness Uh, and yeah, I can't even imagine, but uh, the fact that you were there and like you said, just speaking from your heart, I'm pretty sure they appreciated it. And I'm pretty sure, like you said, it was very fulfilling for you. Yes. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And you know, the other thing that people need to understand when they think, regardless of what people are going through, the I just showed up movement, the, the first and most important piece of that or part of that is how important it is to just show up for yourself first. Because every Every human being has value and everyone matters and everyone has something to give. And when, when I speak, especially to high school students, I say, why do you have value and why do you matter? And, you know, they start rhyming off all of this stuff. And I say, well, that's all lovely, but that has nothing to do with why you have value and you matter. So there's only one reason, because you exist. there's no other criteria for having value and mattering and mattering. I think I just made up that word anyway. um, (laughs) But when, when somebody thinks like when I was at that conference and somebody might think, you know, I have Huntington's disease and I can't really walk well or talk well, let me just tell you when, when someone hugs you and says, thank you because you made a difference for them. Oh my goodness. They just gave me so much, right? Like, (laughs) we can all give each other so much and learn from each other and, and we all have value and we all matter and we need to learn how to just show up for ourselves. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that because we do, we all matter and you don't have to be anything grand yep. um, in, you know, certain people's eyes or however people want to classify you. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you're just, alive absolutely is you know that you that you matter and I'm like you I love that too and that's that's kind of one of my messages I like to let people know that no matter what you've been through you still have great things ahead of you 
And that's why I love your message so much because you're, you know, you're doing the same thing. And I really like when you say show up for yourself first. Yes. Yes. Well, as, as you, in my Ted talk, I actually say, if you do not (laughs) just show up for yourself first, like women, I'm sorry. Women have been notorious for being the martyrs and the, you know, the hero badge. Can we stop talking about how busy we are and like, oh, you know, I'm so busy and I do all of these things and I'm so wonderful and I do everything for everyone. And when, it, when somebody says that to me, I say, oh my goodness. I say, what can you do to change that? Mm-hmm. What, what do you mean? Well, I mean, it doesn't sound like you have time for self-care and you're also not teaching self-reliance. So you know, when you're doing everything for your children, for your coworkers forever, you're, you're teaching them that they need to be dependent and they, they are not self-reliant. And I mean, truly one of the greatest gifts is teaching someone, no, self-esteem, you can do this. You're great. I'm going to go to the spa. You've got this. <laughs> Cause, mm-hmm. Right. Because you're also being a tremendous example to others saying, you know, I need to take good care of me so I can just show up for others. And I have value and I matter. What a great, just imagine if everybody took responsibility for their own happiness, for their own wellness, for their own coping skills and strategies. And they said, I'm going to take care of me. And, you know, your greatest job is to take care of you. And then when you fall, when I fall, let's take care of each other. But then you can arrive at the table with a full bucket, right? Because you, you've been such a tremendous um, self-care giver. It's actually selfish not to because if you are not a great self-care giver, eventually you will break down. And then others will have to take care of you. Or you're, you're miserable. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. People that are so busy and all they do is complain about it. Like, yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, I do everything for everybody and I complain, complain, complain. So <laughs> what can you do to change that? Oh, I love that. And you know, it's funny because I had to learn that the hard mm-hmm. way. Oh yeah. And and it's funny because several years ago, my kids are teenagers now, but when they were younger, just like you were saying, I was like, Oh, I do this, but blah 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 blah. And mm-hmm. someone said a, a a male friend of mine, he said, Who takes care of you? And he made me stop and I kind of looked at him and I was like, what? Yeah. It's like, yeah, you do all of this. Who takes care of you? Right. And I had no answer for him. And I actually had to think about that. And I was like, yeah, who takes care of me? And that's when I realized that, yes, I need to start putting more time for me because if I don't, I can't show up for anyone else. Well, you can't uh, be because the very best version of you is your greatest gift to the world. But the other thing that you're teaching your children, and I, I love making this point, this is another aha moment for people, is that what you're teaching your children is that they have more value than you do right now because they're the children, you're the parent, but then someday they'll be parents. So they'll have less value and they'll have to drag themselves around. I, I don't want to see my children do that right? Be exhausted mm-hmm. for everybody. Say, no, no, I need to do my stuff to be healthy. And, and I'm there for you. Uh, but, but I have to take care of me first. That's, that's my number one responsibility. And, uh, and it works out well. I love, I love when I tell my, the twins, uh, Tyler lives in 
in British Columbia now, but the twins, they say, you know, you make your own lunch and do your laundry and, and clean your own bathrooms. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for your self-reliance. And they're like, oh, I don't want to be self-reliant. Dogs. I, I promise you someday you'll thank me. <laughs> yep. I'm doing it for you. <laughs> oh, I, I, I know that all too well. I tell my kids that I'm like, one day you're going to have your own home and a family. Yeah. Believe me, you're going to need these skills. Absolutely. Gonna... Yeah. But it, it, it's so important, you know, and it's funny because now that they are teenagers, I'm exactly like you said, I have no problems with going out with friends for dinner or getting yeah. a pedicure. And I'm going, you know what? There's plenty of stuff in there for you to eat. You, you know how to fix you some food. Absolutely. You know, if you want to eat cereal for for dinner tonight, that's fine. I don't care, yeah. but yeah. I'm going out. <laughs> well, and and there again, you want to see that your children will do that as well, right? You like when they're when they are parents, they need to take time for themselves. And of course, you model what you've learned, right? Mm-hmm. Or you have to yes. do what you've learned. So, you know, I want to model this, and I, and I want to model that when I have grief in my life. I don't hide it from my children. I just tell them, I mean, I am an open book. My heart is broken. I am struggling here. When I failed, you know, I thought something would work out brilliantly. I just say, wow, you know, we, we tried this. We worked hard. It failed. I'm so disappointed. Got to brush myself off and try again. But that's life. Not everything works out the way you, you know, you, you hope it does. And, uh, but you try again. And aren't like there's just teachable moments along the way every day, really. Yes, yes. So let's go to your program. Mm -hmm. Now, with your program, is it coaching? Are you coaching people on your principles or how how is that structured? So with um, my 27 years of experience in the last five years of interviewing hundreds of people, I came up with seven takeaways. And I believe these are principles to live life to the fullest, learn to grieve and support others, and yes, have the talk about end of life long before it arrives and diffuse the fear. So I came up with seven critical principles, and these are the principles that I I share in my presentations and workshops, and, and I've had just tremendous, tremendous feedback for the last I don't know, three and a half years. So I just broke the program down. Um, I just created seven modules with seven takeaways. I did short introduction videos. And then I did a workbook that people can download. And and then I did another video with my thoughts. And then I will do, there's a, you know, Facebook page. And then I'll do live Q&As and stuff like that. And, and there's, if people want to do coaching, that's like there's two separate programs. Because I wanted to make, what I wanted more than anything was to make um, make it affordable for most people. I mean, for some people, it will be an investment, I know. But, I mean, just the just the modules and, and many other resources, and it includes my ebook, my all kinds of things. It's pretty darn good, I have to say, in the private <laughs> case. But it's $197 Canadian mm-hmm. and for lifetime access, right? So then if people want extra coaching, it, they can they have that option for more. Um, but my goal with that, um, the big thing also is there's so many do-gooders and not-for-profit organizations that are doing great work in the world. So I'm also partnering with them and and giving them a link. And, and when um, when they have a link and people purchase the program through that link, I'm donating 50% to 
to that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, this is, this is a, a social movement, right? This is about creating positive social change and that takes many voices and my goodness, there's so many great organizations out there. And every time I turn around, someone is fundraising, right? There's a, there's a gala, there's a run, there's a bake sale. And, and I understand. So I thought, how can I create something that, you know, could sort of be a 24-7 fundraiser that didn't involve creating an event, didn't write something because it's so much work. Mm-hmm. So I, I pasted my house for a year and then I figured out how I could do it. So so that's a, a really exciting way to give back as well. But, and also to share my message, again, more to have that mass influence because, you know, as I tell people, I'm learning as I go along. Grief isn't easy for me it, and, and it shouldn't be, right? It, it should not, grief is never going to be easy, um, but we can do better together and we can continuously learn from each other. And so it's really about creating and connecting community. And, and it's no matter what you're going through, right? Whether it's an addiction, um, someone who's being abused, someone who has a loved one dying, someone with a chronic illness, it's all the same message, isn't it? We need to learn how to just show up for ourselves first and just show up for each other, no matter what we're going through. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And it sounds like you have an, an awesome community that you built. And it's, I, I, like I said, I love your message. It's, it's great. It's not mm-hmm. something that I ever thought of. Like I said, when no. I thought of grief, I think mm-hmm. of dying. Yep. You know, what? there's so many aspects of grief like you said the abuse you know everything else divorce that's yeah you grieve that's yeah you that's grief so it's I'm gonna start looking at things a lot differently because of you and it is and it's okay yeah it's okay to grieve over those things oh absolutely and you know the other uh there's just so much because the other thing you know, we, we shouldn't compare our grief like, oh, I can't believe I'm having such a hard time when so-and-so had something much more traumatic happen. You know, we don't, we don't need to judge each other's grief and we all grieve differently. And when somebody whose dog dies and, you know, they had 10 dogs who just roamed on the farm and they barely noticed, but another person's dog, I mean, there's a lot of people that like their dog better than they like people. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like their family. And so that person is going to be broken hearted. And, and it just truly is about allowing that grief, no matter what it is. And that is what diffuses it. Everybody wants to fix grief. Everyone wants you to feel better. And how we feel better is by acknowledging and allowing our grief and allowing, just saying, this is hard. I don't know what to say. I mean, so I, I laugh when I was a supervisor at the hospital for a while. People would say, oh, let's get Yvonne. She's good at this grief stuff, you know, when, it, when a family was falling apart. And I just laugh because I, you know, I, I've got this. I'll go in there and <laughs> I, I've got this. And I, I'd go in and I would just fall apart. <laughs> I would just say, <laughs> oh, my gosh, this is so sad. Where's the tissue? And how long were you married? And I just listened. I listened and cried and hugged. <laughs> like, we can all do that. But you know, Trina, here's another piece of grief that we miss. And we can teach this to our children because they say, uh, my children, like the twins have been, when I was writing my book and interviewing all these people, they were nine years old. So I said, they're kind of like my experiment because <laughs> I want to see 
they know how to just show up. They know that it isn't their job to judge or to fix, but they can love and support people. But sometimes when someone is very irritable or distracted or angry and they say, wow, you know, John was so crabby on the bus, blah, blah, blah. And they say, oh, wow, that sounds hard. What do you think could be going on? Said, I know, mom, he could be grieving something. Right? Right? Yes. Anger and and bitterness and resentment and just being distracted. I mean, grief isn't a nice little box of, Someone's crying and, you know, they're grieving and that's it. Someone who's being very destructive, they could, their hearts could just be broken and they're so ill prepared and no one knows how to just show up for them and they're just, they're losing it. And, and we need to be able to just say, wow, you look like you're just ready to, I see you're chopping down that tree. I'm just going to grab this ax because I'm going to chat with you for a little minute you know, do you want to talk about whatever's making you so, yeah, it looks like you're having a really hard time or get someone, you know, if, if you're not able to just show up for someone, I see, get someone else. If you see something, say something, right? John is by himself. He's not talking to anybody. That's not like him. Go tell a teacher, go tell a parent. Let's show up for each other because that's also a really, a really important way to prevent suicide, to prevent you know, anxiety, addictions, all of this, just show up. And if you see something, say something. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like the bottom line to me, what you're saying, Yvonne, is like you said previously, no judging, but then just to be human, to have empathy and compassion for other people. Absolutely. We don't know someone's story, right? We don't, I mean, I, re- I and I'm human too. I judged and, and then I, I kind of, feel guilty and I allow that and then I forgive myself and I do better next time because yeah I remember one lady who was well oh no this is an even better story my friend Suzanne said this man cut her off when she was driving and then he started yelling at her oh oh, you need to cut me off and and she was really frazzled and and then they she saw him in the grocery store well of course at first you know somebody would say what do you think you are? You know, you cut me off and you were yelling at me and be very angry and then anger back and forth. Right. But my friend decided to, she took a few breaths. <laughs> That's what she wanted to do. <laughs> she took a few breaths and then she said, you know what? No, let me just, and let me just pause and do this differently. And she saw the man and she said, I, I'm really sorry if I, if I scared you, I didn't, even realize or you know whatever she said and he was completely diffused and he said i am so sorry i snapped at you i've had a brain injury and mm. i'm very terrified because it happened when i got hit by a car oh wow right and and he realized how he overreacted and he said it's really hard for me and he was still grieving and then they had a really nice exchange and both went their way now, wouldn't it have been so easy for that to be very different? Oh, yeah. Right? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I can't believe that man yelled at me. He had no right. Blah, blah. And, you know, we just don't know other people's story. But when we react with compassion and we take those breaths, regardless, it doesn't matter what their story is, we're going to feel better. Right? right. When when we When we just show up with compassion and empathy, like, wow, that guy's really angry. He must be going through a lot. 
Wow. <laughs> that's hard. That's challenging. Yeah, it's very hard, but Absolutely. wow. Man, I could talk to you forever about this, <laughs> but <laughs> we're going to move on to, I have my 10 questions that I ask of every guest. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to start question number one, who or what motivates you? Oh my goodness. What motivates me is it, that's just such an easy, the people who send me an email, the people who are in the audience who come and hug me and say, thank you. That, that keeps me going every single day. That just, okay. that's my fuel. What demotivates you? Oh, what demotivates me? Well, you know, I, I, because I'm human, there are many people around. I don't know if you've met any negative people, Trina. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> oh, never. Oh, you're so lucky. Yeah, you know, when you, yes, being around people that are gossiping, being around people who cannot, they, you know, they, they don't ask me how I'm doing, what I'm doing, because you know that whole crabs in the bucket theory, mm -hmm. right? If you, you try to crawl out, you're the crab. And, and you know, it's, it's disheartening, to be honest, because honestly, a lot of healthcare professionals have not just shown up for me. And, and that's, it's been disheartening because I am human. Uh, but that's okay. I just need to, I just need to go. And I mean, like having this conversation tonight, it wouldn't matter what I went through all day. This conversation is like my fuel, right? So, so the negative people, the people that <laughs> it, it is challenging because they're, they're all around. Um, and I'm human but I just carry on. Yeah. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? Oh, that's when, when my, I don't know if it was intentionally to hurt me, but when I was going through everything, when we were going through everything with my son, uh, so many people, it, it wasn't even the, what they said. It was uh, how they minimized what we were going through or didn't ask. Uh, didn't, you know, they, they avoided talking to me because this was challenging, you know, a son in rehab, in trouble, all of these things. And, and so they didn't just show up for me or they would, they're, they're this, the polite conversation that they wanted. Hey, how's Ty doing? Oh, good. Okay. Thank you. Right. That, that mm -hmm. small talk that I don't really want to know. Mm -hmm. And that was very hurtful. It's interesting how much something like that could hurt. And that fueled me to a never, <laughs> never minimize somebody's pain and, mm -hmm. and create the I just showed up movement. <laughs> so it, at the time, it just felt like pain and it, I turned it into something very positive. What is your fear? What is my fear? My fear, I guess my biggest fear would be to to not have all of my information out there and my ducks in a row and to share this with the world and run out of time. I want to, st I don't know how long I'm here, but I want to stick around long enough <laughs> to share my message with the world. Honestly, that would be a fear. Like, you know, I, I, I say, none of us know how long we're here. And I say, can you just let me stay long enough to share my message with the world? <laughs> oh, is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? 
Oh my goodness. There are time I wish I had done something that I didn't. I, I'm sure there were, there's so many times because I know in, in thinking back, I think back to the first person who uh, I know had cancer. I remember in high school when my friend's dad was diagnosed with cancer, um, we were all terrified. I'd n- we'd never even heard the word, if you can even imagine that, right? Because cancer now, everybody's heard the word. And I think back to, did I just show up for her? And I don't think I did enough. And I would certainly change that. <laughs> I would change that. Okay. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? That I had not done something? Uh, yeah. Geez, there's, now you're making me think of all the bad things I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you know, there's there's been times, like, again, with the just showing up, Sometimes you feel like you are helping or because you're, you're leading with your heart and you don't know. Um, but I remember uh, somebody who, who had someone die by suicide and they were, they were writing all kinds of things. And I, I just thought that they were trying to help other people in what they wrote. So I made a comment like, oh, you know, you're helping so many other people. And their comment was hashtag not a hero. Right. Like mm. that's not. And, and it, it was hurtful. Like I felt like, wow, I wish I hadn't said that because I was just sort of caught up in all the amazingness that they were writing so much, but they were just saying, that's not why I'm doing this. And, you know, that is part of, of the putting yourself out there and just showing up is sometimes it won't be helpful, but just lead with your heart. And I mean, I know my intention was good, but I sure wish I would have written something differently and it, 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 that it was helpful and it wasn't. Mm. What is your definition of success my definition of success is honestly if you get up in the morning and you feel passionate and purposeful and not oh another day and to find that to find that that passion to find something that really excites you and I don't even care it doesn't see it doesn't matter what it is if it's that garden in your yard and you have the greatest flowers in the world or you are the best dog walker in the world when you find that thing that just fuels your heart and soul that is success it's not i mean there's many we've all heard many people with millions of dollars and they're so unsatisfied it's because they have they don't have that right they do not have that finding that passion that oh my goodness it's the greatest it's Success. Absolute success. Okay. How do you recharge? How do I recharge? I, first of all, well, you may not know this, but I'm very, very funny. So (laughs) I really recharge by making people laugh. I recharge by putting on my socks and sandals and fuzzy slippers, fuzzy pants and snuggling up with my kids to watch funny movies and going for a walk in nature. Because one of my one of my takeaways is find your post. That's something you can turn to no matter what, no matter when, in times of grief or to refuel you. And we all need something. And my post is nature because when I go out in nature, I just feel connected and rejuvenated. Absolutely. What are you awesome at? What am I awesome at? Oh, well, I am now, I would say I'm awesome at I'm going to say it, I'm getting up on stage and I know I'm going to make someone cry, but I know, and I'm also going to make them laugh. I'm going to give them an aha moment. And that is extraordinary. And I just have fun with it. 
And I am awesome at being my authentic self and delivering that passionate message. What legacy do you want to leave? Oh my goodness. That's a legacy of teaching people of all ages how to just show up for themselves and others so they are empowered and resilient when grief arrives and learning how to love their life to death. Wow. I think you just did gave me the answer to this next question, but give the listeners one motivational takeaway. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> yes. Well, but, but the, the, the biggest thing is you must, I know you want to just show up for others, but you must just show up for yourself first and always remember, never forget when you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable and you can't fix it. Three magic words. Just show up. Okay, Yvonne, tell the listeners how they can connect with you. They can connect with me through our website, Love Your Life to Death. We have a Facebook page, but yes, Love Your Life to Death. My TED Talk is there, my shows and everything. Feel free to connect, reach out anytime. I'd love to hear from you. Okay, Yvonne. Well, I just want to say thank you for showing up for me. Yes, thank you, my new friend, Trina, for just showing up for me by sharing my message. I'm so grateful. And thank you for all that you do. Thank you for saying that. And hopefully this won't be our last time speaking. That sounds great to me. Okay, great. Well, you have a great day. Thank you, Trina. You too. Bye for now. Bye-bye. If you like Trina Talk, please don't forget to go out to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination. You can listen to Trina Talk anytime and anywhere. It's available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and all other places that you can listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you have questions for me or need inspiration on how to go to the next level, tweet me directly at Trina L. Martin.